Hello, my name is Dustin Kluwer, and I'm here today with... Hey, buddy. <laughs> oh, whoa, Polly Shore, the weasel himself. I got some vino. I got a leaning tower of cheese. <laughs> Wait, no, that's Polly Shore from Goofy Movie. <laughs> oh, I'm not a fan of that one. <laughs> I was running out of catchphrases I that I remembered. I'm Will Sloan. <laughs> and you're listening to The Important Cinema Club, and today... We're talking about, if you haven't guessed it yet, because I already said his name, Polly Shore. Oh, my brain is <laughs> is, is melting. I'm, I watched so many Polly Shore movies this week. Uh, just, just show me beauty. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me take this poster out of uh, the movie where Polly Shore adopts African children. Oh, adopted from 2009, was yep. it? Or would you like to see Politics, the um, political special that Polly Shore put together? These movies... You folks probably haven't even heard of these because these are the late period efforts of Pauly Shore. Mm -hmm. But you have probably heard of Biodome, In the Army Now, Jury Duty, Jury Duty, all all of them. That might be it. So when I was a kid, this is one of the weird things is I knew I liked Pauly Shore. Like I was excited for Pauly Shore movies. But other than watching Biodome and being disappointed, I can't remember why. (laughs) My dad, I have a clear memory of saying, oh, Pauly Shore, he's really not funny. <laughs> he did say that. And that definitely colored my perception of him. Mm-hmm. Although Biodome was one of those trailers I saw a lot. On Why the... do we see that trailer so much? Because I saw Biodome all the time. It was on the pay-per-view network. Mm, that's you know? why. Yep. <laughs> we've talked about it before. We've all seen the same trailers. <laughs> on this podcast before, I've said that, you know, we've talked about things on, on the podcast that we don't like, but we don't usually talk about things that aren't worth knowing. We're getting dangerously close with this topic. But I think that Pauly Shore is interesting only because he is a comedian that, in his time, was the biggest thing imaginable. Yeah, for a couple of months, he was Mm -hmm. super famous. And he's also the defining force of what represents slacker 90s culture. Like, he put some of those, like, um, you know, slang terms into people's heads, and it became an everyday thing. Yeah, he is an archetype of a certain kind of surfer dude guy. Mm-hmm. He's also kind of the perfect example of the guy who was a fad. Who yeah. Who was only popular for a certain amount of time. And uh, then he just disappeared. And... Not only disappeared, but became a joke. Almost instantly. Like, once two of his movies didn't do so well, that came very close together, he was gone. Like, he didn't even have, like, supporting roles in little comedies mm-hmm. or anything like that. He got one sitcom, mm-hmm. and then that Polly. was Polly. Which lasted five episodes. And it was a Fox Network sitcom. It's exactly what you think it is. Go look uh, clips on it online, and then... Burn your eyes out, because it is not funny. And Polly Shore would admit that himself in a movie that we'll talk about a little bit later. But let's start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. That Polly Shore was an MTV VJ. Well, let's start at the real beginning. <laughs> Polly Shore is born. And this is very important. Because the person who birthed him was Mitzi Shore, who is the owner of the very famous comedy store mm-hmm. on the Sunset Strip. This comedy club that... Gave birth to so many famous people. David Letterman, Jim Carrey, Sam Kinison. Sam Kinison is relevant because he babysat Polly Shore. So Polly Shore, like, grew up in comedy. Mm-hmm. And it was also an entryway, we could say, sure. for him into comedy. Sure. Polly may object to this. He may uh, write in, because I know he's listening. <laughs> Please don't write in, Polly. <laughs> he may write in and say, no, I worked really hard. I did all these I'm games. sure he worked very hard. Yeah. And he started as a VJ. Not... 
I don't know. It is a pretty famous position. Yeah. And he had this weasel character that was essentially a dumb surfer dude. Mm -hmm. It's like, like you said, hey, buddy. And all those other shenanigans. And there was a bit of a like Ali G thing Mm -hmm. to his MTV show. He had a show called Totally Polly where he would just go around and he would like be a jackass to people. But I still don't think that it's like cutting in the way that Sasha Baron Cohen would do it. It was just him acting dumb. Well, because you're supposed to like Polly. Yeah, it, he's not <laughs> like a force that you go, wait, no, I don't like this person. And the comedy comes out of what this persona is doing with regular people. And unlike Ali G or somebody like that, there's no kind of satiric point being made. Yeah, and again, he is representing this kind of like mid-90s, Generation X, you know, white middle class don't really have to fight for anything so you're kind of blasé and you don't really want to do anything so you're angry if you have to (laughs) yeah exactly and you know it's it's that old end of history thing right Mm -hmm. around this time he was popular jim carrey was popular adam sandler became popular these comedians who were sort of anti-social on screen Mm -hmm. Ace ace ventura or billy madison these are people who like prick at the pomposity of this world around them now why do you think i mean i know the answer jim carrey and adam sandler went on but Polly shore was just a dead stop you know it's it's both complex and simple at the same time mm-hmm. isn't it i mean adam sandler and jim carrey regardless of what you think of their oeuvres they had more to say and i also think that sandler and carrey are even bigger personalities than shore Adam Sandler early in his career was defined by his anger and Jim Carrey by his over-the-topness. Yeah. And Polly Shore is like a laid-back surfer dude. And there's not that many places to go with that. Yeah. So you can feel in the movies that he made that he starred in, the people behind the scenes trying to figure out what to do with that. Because mm-hmm. you have the start in Sino Man, the classic comedy that everybody in the 90s saw, which has Polly Shore and a very incel Sean Astin. <laughs> and I think this is the most bare of the Polly Shore mm. movies. Who find in their uh, rich mansion backyard a frozen caveman played by a very charming Brendan Fraser. I liked Brendan Fraser in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, I like him in all movies. Yeah, uh, watching this movie, it really made me realize that, like, I had to be there to enjoy Polly Shore because everything he did in this was like nails on a chalkboard for me. This is sort of to Polly Shore what Under Siege is to Steven Seagal mm. where it uses him sparingly yes um, but the movie knows by the end that this is the breakout character that people are going to love and are going to be quoting and in fact doesn't it end with, with yeah it'll the weasel will return <laughs> I think it's kind of a boring movie mm-hmm. I think that it's it's directed competently enough for like a studio comedy. Like there's crane moves. The director's obviously making decisions as opposed to just rolling improv for multiple cameras. It's kind of your typical high concept mm-hmm. studio comedy, you know. That it literally runs out of steam at the end. Weird just science ends. meets Bill and Tad. Yeah. Um, there's a very dramatic moment where Brendan Fraser gets to uh, relive the death of his wife. Yeah. <laughs> just tears streaming down his face. It's a less interesting movie to me than some of these other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's it's, it's not it's pure. competent enough <laughs> yeah yeah and and paulie is being used strategically in it mm-hmm. so this movie was you know a 40 million dollar success so not a massive hit but, but a hit, a hit. Yeah. and he then got a three-picture deal with disney the i think most popular of them was son-in-law how <laughs> 
so we both watched Son-in-Law probably for the first time. Me, very confused, because I thought uh, Polly Shore was in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, because I think they both had pictures of a lawn on the cover and a house in the background. With the American Gothic Yeah, exactly. Picture. Yeah. So Carla Gugino in this movie plays a... A college freshman who comes from a you know conservative southern town she goes to la and she becomes acquainted with a totally rad dude uh his name is crawl is uh, it be- because that's what he's gonna make your skin do Ugh. yikes <laughs> but um all right that's uh, the important cinema club for tonight <laughs> leave him on a laugh he's played by Polly shore and in his opening scene her father walks into this dorm room and he's looking around and Polly, he appears in the frame hanging upside down from the ceiling with his big curly hair all outstretched. That means he's wacky. And he goes, hey, buddy. And, and, oh. oh. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm at a disadvantage here. If I don't like Polly Shore. I was hoping I was going to. I had fond memories when I was a kid. Sure. But as I'm watching them at this age and I do not like this persona, these movies have nothing for me. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder, like, who could like this persona, right? <laughs> it had to have been that moment. You know, one of the reasons why Polly Shore hasn't aged well and, and why he hasn't evolved in his career is that this type of comedy is kind of a young man's game. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Like, no care in the world, just zooming through life, this weaseling and out. This teenage guy who mm. who makes fun of the grown-ups. Okay, now I say that, and I guess Groucho Marx was able to survive well into his old age being but he had jokes being a jackass yeah he had jokes okay so i have a friend he will remain unnamed he hates it when i say a film has no jokes he's like no there's jokes you just don't like those jokes so they don't feel like jokes to you i'd like to put this movie on the table and say this film has almost no jokes yeah there's a scene in this movie about halfway through which i think is the ultimate scene of Mm. this film where it's this fancy southern dinner Everybody is, you know, dressed to the nines and in walks Polly and he's got this absurd outfit on, you know, tights and a dumb like striped vest or, you know, stupid, like stupid pink mm-hmm. tight shirt, you know, ridiculousness. And he's like, hey, check me out. Look at me. Oh, hey, buddy. And he's like shaking hands and then he sits down. That's it. That's it. He's just, he just comes in, he's a jackass, he calls attention to himself, no joke. And by the end of the movie, of course, everybody loves him. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> I like the moment at the beginning where Polly Shore is dressed as a woman, that's the joke of that scene, but then he gets real, and he's like, oh, you know, I miss my family too when we left. <laughs> Pathetic, I hate it. You know, you know, sir, your son likes to play video games, and and isn't that, he just wants a space to pursue his own interests. Like, shut you know the what? fuck up, Polly. You convinced me. <laughs> I love you. Okay, I think another problem with Polly Shore, you know, you hate to kick a man when he's down. Yeah. Okay, we all agree that Polly Shore is not very funny, but another problem with him is somebody like Jim Carrey, or somebody like Groucho Marx, mm-hmm. their characters don't care what you think of them. Yes. They're abrasive and they're annoying, but they exist in their own world. Whereas Polly seems very needy. All of his movies, he wants to be liked. Like, he wants to be your friend. And I think that if you're not vibing with that, it's Nowheresville. Because there's no movie then. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're not constructing jokes around that idea. The jokes are his catchphrases. Yeah. Like, at one point in Encino Man, him and Brendan Fraser just drink from Slurpee machines. People love that scene. <laughs> there's no joke there. <laughs> 
It's yeah, just well, that he drank from a slurpee machine. I mean, that's got to be something like, you know, like the Big Lebowski where people look at it and they like the attitude of the character. Mm-hmm. Give me the Big Lebowski any day of the week <laughs> over this fucking shit. <laughs> well, I'm excited for Encino Fest where <laughs> we talk about Encino Man, dress up as our favorite Encino Man characters. So, Son-in-Law, I think it made money, not as much as Encino Man. But it led into his other films, which were In the Army Now and Jury Duty. Diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. I've seen Jury Duty. <laughs> I've seen it on TV. Yep. Um, okay. Probably and, on TBS, I bet. I guess, uh, yeah, it was on <laughs> TBS, actually. Another interesting thing about Pauly Shore is I think there is something like sort of homoerotic about him. Okay. And I will cite a scene in Jury Duty for this thesis. Mm-hmm. So he's on the jury and there's this, you know, guy... Uh, who's up for murder or whatever. I can't remember the plot, but Polly thinks he's innocent. So he goes to visit him in disguise as a woman. Uh, you know, the guy's really horny for Polly mm-hmm. and, you know, he, he shows the guy his dick uh, to prove that it's not him. And he shows his armpit hair. Yeah. But then the scene ends with the guy then saying, well, I'm going to fuck you anyway because uh, I'm really horny. So it sort of ends with a sexual assault. But isn't this more homophobia versus homoeroticism? It's a tricky line because it is is gay panic stuff. But then watch Biodome. The scene where he's like biting Stephen Baldwin's toenails. Okay. Uh, or I don't know any Again, scene in Encino of- Man. Like there's like or or you know there there are a lot of scenes in uh, like in Son in Law where he's just like you know he he's just like showing off his body so much. It could go that line because he is such a laid back cool character mm-hmm. that's maybe comfortable in his own sexuality. Yeah. <laughs> then that's what comes out of that but these are still engineered as gay panic jokes yeah yeah <laughs> like biodome the last big feature film that Polly shore would star in <laughs> is the purest of the weasel oh, or the purest shore because the weasel is shore yeah um i remember seeing it as a kid and being very disappointed that the conceit of the biodome was abandoned 45 minutes yeah into the movie that really bugged me so it's a dumb and dumber ripoff where Polly and Stephen Baldwin. <laughs> Stephen Baldwin. Another joke. Yeah. Fresh off the usual suspects. So mm-hmm. this was... Uh, Aware, but he's in dreads in this one. Yeah. This was a big time for him. They play these two stoner buddies. They're dating uh, Joey Lauren Adams and another lovely woman. And, they, you know, they, they walk into this, this place and they think it's a shopping mall, but it is actually like the Biodome, like that experiment from the 90s. And what happens is they get locked in and they have to spend a whole year together with see scientists so what do they do right off the bat they sexual assault the uh two women scientists right getting into their bed and groping them yeah groping their breasts and between their legs i yeah. think stephen baldwin does yeah, not, ah, not, what comedy not cool no not good uh but then they escape the biodome halfway through yep and, and they went over the scientist they went over the scientist because they have they have a big rave at the biodome so they fuck up the experiment then they're like no we're gonna the experiment's back on and we're gonna clean the biodome fuck that that would never happen it makes no sense <laughs> no and these two characters. Boy, I hate them. <laughs> yeah. But it's so pure. Like, Polly Shore, it looks like he gave up his hair dye, like red hair dye, halfway through. They're all in, like, neon outfits. Okay, what about that scene where Stephen Baldwin, just to go back to my homophobia slash homoeroticism mm-hmm. point, there's that scene where uh, Stephen Baldwin says, I haven't quit anything in my life, huh, well, except masturbation, because it's the only thing I'm good at. And then Polly Shore goes, you are good at it. <laughs> I, I Do you remember guess, that? Yeah. There's something about the two of them together. I don't know. You're just, you're just staring at it like fingers crossed. I'm trying to find something of interest. Yeah. Like a thesis. Yeah. A sub- Queering Polly Shore, <laughs> you know. But I would say that uh, Stephen Baldwin and Polly Shore 
have chemistry together. <sighs> a sick, evil chemistry. <laughs> yes. A horrific chemistry. I did not laugh once watching Biodome. <laughs> I, it was like funny games for me. Where I'm like, oh my god. When they got out of the Biodome, it was like the moment in funny games where they pick up the remote and reverse it. I'm like, oh, the movie's over, right? <laughs> nope. There's still 40 minutes left. Yeah, no, it, it's a true ordeal. There's like nothing to grasp onto except for a moving performance by William Atherton. Yes, who plays the villain of the piece. <laughs> who turned down Mallrats to make this film. <laughs> and uh, you'll remember on the commentary for Mallrats, they said uh, he said the script for Mallrats was childish, and then he made Biodome. <laughs> Listen, actors have bills to pay as well. <laughs> he thought something was going to come up. Yeah. So Biodome, even though it feels like they were I ads, don't care that he didn't do Mallrats, by the <laughs> way. Ads for it everywhere. <laughs> It didn't make any money, and it was seemingly the end to the big starring career of Polly Shore. But there's one more movie that we need to talk about. He had a comeback attempt in the early 2000s when he wrote, directed, and starred in a meta movie about himself called Polly Shore is Dead. So the promise of this movie as a takedown of Polly Shore by Polly Shore is intriguing mm-hmm. because like what is he going to show us about himself or how he views himself that we wouldn't think of mm-hmm. the answer is lots of celebrity cameos and just the most pathetic sad life of Polly Shore the premise of the film is that Polly Shore is Polly Shore he is a washed up former celebrity he had a sitcom that failed he doesn't get to make movies anymore it's his sitcom they show footage from his sitcom Bali and the only way that he can revive interest in his career is to fake his own death and boy does it ever there are a ton of celebrity cameos you name it Ben Stiller Sean Penn Charlie uh, Sheen Charlie Sheen your favorite Bill Maher that's right (laughs) who's best friends with Ben Stiller in the movie Uh, Heidi Fleiss is in there just just a ton of people hey don't forget uh, Vern Troyer Vern Troyer uh, Paris Hilton yep Uh, Ellen DeGeneres Chris Rock most of these people only show up for like 15 seconds yeah not much and it's clear that Polly just went over to their house with a camera and like say something I was shocked this was uh, shot on 35mm but it was made around 2003 this was shot on 35mm yeah it looks like early digital shit nope definitely not early digital looks like fucking garbage (laughs) you know it definitely has a video visual look of like David Dakota movies. Oh yeah. Which is like someone's house somewhere and the camera's just kind of there shooting it, like not trying yeah. to do anything cinematic. You expect like softcore or hardcore shenanigans to break out at any point in time. Yeah, or it's a movie that reminds me a bit of The Canyons. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> the Paul Schrader film. Just like Hollywood bottom feeders. So I mean, clearly the agenda of this movie is... is To humanize Polly Shore. To yeah. make you feel bad for him. But he does it in this humble, braggy way of it's like, Hey guys, remember I used to be famous? I used to be in movies? I used to fuck porn stars? Uh, I used to fuck strippers? Why don't I get to do that anymore? That's essentially what the thesis of the film is. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm talented and smart, and people like me, why can't I make movies anymore? It's like the Hollywood system is keeping him down. Why Adam Sandler and not me? Yes. And, you know, let's not pretend Polly Shore didn't have opportunities. <laughs> what do you mean opportunities? I mean, his mother was Mitzi Shore. Yes. He got on MTV. He had like six movies. Uh, like he had a shot. Sorry. And I mean, nobody's stopping him from saying something interesting. Like, no. Like Norm MacDonald is somebody who disappeared mm. for a long time. But he, he had one movie. He had one movie. One movie he started. But Norm MacDonald has figured out a way to endure because he actually is funny. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but Polly Shore is still enduring. But I want to talk about Polly Shore is dead some more. Yeah, yeah, please. Because, 
like it just made me feel sad. And I don't think that's the way that Polly Shore intended it to be. There's a scene where he's like, they're making cracking jokes about Polly Shore, like in a parking lot. And he's like, I'll give you an autograph. $20 this is Polly Shore. And Polly Shore like knocks his friend away and is like, I, I don't want to do it. That used to be funny when it wasn't real. Mm-hmm. And then he like walks away and yeah. it's like, oh, that that is true. Now it's really real. Yeah. But he's not really being honest with himself, is he? Um, No, I don't think so. Yeah. I, he makes jokes. I mean, it's funny that he dies in his mom's house. <laughs> it says like, it says like the shore, uh, the shore household yeah. as his body's being dragged out. And clearly, he's sort of fantasizing about. Okay, well, what if I did die? Mm-hmm. Like, like, wouldn't people say nice things about me? Like, wouldn't it be fun to kind of like experience that a bit? Uh, there's a funny joke when it's revealed that he's actually alive. Where I think it's MTV's like, we apologize for the 48 hour Polly Shore marathon. <laughs> that was kind of funny, yeah. <laughs> but it's definitely a film that if you're gonna get any laughs out of it, it'll be within the first 10 minutes. And then it's a law of diminishing returns as it goes on. I think we both watched a lot of clips of him on uh, YouTube, <sighs> which, I mean, I thought this week would be more fun. I thought it would be more fun as well. I thought that, like, there'd be one movie that I would even have that pang of nostalgia and I would go, mm-hmm. I understand why people loved uh-huh. him. Like, that that's funny. Uh-huh. And it never happened. But he does vlogs and he does stand up now. And he, does, he has a podcast. And the thesis of it all seems to be, why aren't I famous anymore? He talks about in interviews that he was on the set of Bucky Larson, Child Star, and he looked out and he went, why aren't I starring in this movie? Why, why do these people get a chance to star in the movie? And, like, no one cares about me anymore. Yeah. And, I mean, that's not true. He still has his fans. Even though Polly Shore is dead, he illustrates his fans as dumb rednecks yeah. who don't know any better. Yeah, I mean, fuck you, Polly. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but, like, he's constantly questioning of, like, why not him? And that's what all his stand-up is about. He's disheveled. He looks like he doesn't want to be there. Big bags under his eyes. We saw one clip of where he was saying something like, you know, the younger kids today, they don't even know who Polly Shore is. Why he, should they? He's like, you know all the comedy that's out there right now? I'm the one who started it. No, you didn't. You're not fucking Charlie <laughs> Chaplin. <laughs> who are you? You didn't start anything. <laughs> the style of comedy is not yours. Like Jim Carrey and Mike Myers and all of them are right there doing the same thing that you were doing. Yeah. Okay. And now I feel bad because we're beating up on Polly Shore right now. I don't want to beat up on Polly Shore. Because because he is he's a man who's down. Yeah. Like if you look, I mean, just a, a week ago, he posted like a really sad YouTube video called Polly Shore Rants. That's just him walking around his apartment as multiple cameras capture him. But then he like slips into like saying lines from his movies mm-hmm. in almost like a way that he has like a tick. Mm-hmm. It just, it didn't make me feel good. He had this special a few years ago that we read about politics mm-hmm. where he went around and talked to various minor political figures, Ali G style, but it didn't appear to have any thesis. No. It's just like, what if Polly Shore talked about politics? And he I rapped a song about the fact that Obama and Osama sound alike. Ah, very sharp. Yeah. <laughs> and I just think, you you know, you've got to either think of something to say or retire to a nice life. Mm-hmm. You know, just look back on those wonderful days when you were in the army now, when you were in the biodome. <laughs> when you were on jury duty. <laughs> yeah. And think like, I was happy then. But it's not enough. If you're a comedian, you want to continue to be a comedian. But were you a comedian for the right reasons? <laughs> were you a comedian to say something? Or were you a comedian to have sex with porn stars? And because you really wanted to be liked. Yeah. Well, you know what? Polly Shore will always have his faith. If you look at the comments on those YouTube videos, people are just quoting weasel lines at him. And they're saying, like, you are my favorite actor. The generation that loved him is still out there. 
Like, they haven't aged out yet. And we were talking to people that we know that, like, still have fond memories of Polly Shore films. And, you know, that's not a bad legacy, is no. it? You know? Like, the fact that there's people out there that still like your movies. Mm-hmm. I-, I mean, that's more than most comedians could say. Like, there's nobody out there who's like, uh, does Chris Kattan have giant fans? Probably not. No, but Polly Shore does. So that's something that he can be happy about. Mm-hmm. Pauly Shore has his fans, and we have ours. So, mm. Justin, do we have any letters this week? We do have some letters. Um, the first one's from loyal uh, listener J.P. McDevitt, and he goes, Police Story Double Feature or... Hi, April 23rd is the DCP double feature of Police Story 1 and 2 in San Francisco, neither of which I've seen. However, overlapping with Police Story 2 is a 35mm screening of Stephen King's Silver Bullet, a later show that will lose me more sleep on a weeknight. Do I stick with Police Story 1 and 2, see Police Story 1 and leave for Silver Bullet, Police Story 1 and make a game decision based on energy and how much I like Police Story 1? Just verifying that 3 is the obvious choice, right? Thanks, JP. What do you think? So, I mean, I don't know what J.P. McDevitt likes. Like, that's tough. But if I was speaking to, like, a blank person who has an interest in seeing Jackie Chan's police story, you will love Jackie Chan's police story. Police story 2, not as much fun as police story 1. I agree. And I also think that watching them back to back might be a bit much for one night. Yes. And I think that Police Story 2 can only suffer being back to back with Police Story 1. Mm -hmm. And you've talked about it before. Police Story 1 with an audience is gangbusters. Mm -hmm. So much fun. Mm -hmm. Like applauding, cheering, just really into it. It's probably Jackie's tightest film. Mm -hmm. And even then it has long bits where he does the thing with the phone. He just hangs out. But still, that climax will not be beat. Silver Bullet. Have not seen it since I saw it on TBS. People are very fond of it. It's on 35mm. It's going to be fun as well. There's a great Gary Busey performance in that film. Like, see Police Story 1 and then go to Silver Bullet. That would be my suggestion. Police Story 2, you can watch it at home. It's two hours long, too, so... Yeah. Oh, Police Story 2 is two hours? Yeah. yeah. And it only has three action scenes, I believe. It doesn't have very much. But you should see Police Story 2 at some point. Yes. It's got good stuff in it. It does have some great stuff in it. Uh, Police Story 2 is like the weird uh, middle child between Police Story 1 and Super Cop. It's funny. Super Cop's great. Ah, Super Cop is great. Police Story 2 has the great... Um, playground, playground fight. fight. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Police Story 2, I remember the climax not being that impressive because it, it involves yeah. like dynamite and explosions. But man, Police Story 1, great. Well, thank you very much for the letter. And uh, I hope that's a great night of screenings. And our next letter is from Chris Barube, brother of Dan Barube. Uh, who, who was on our podcast way back in the day on the Ingmar Bergman episode. And he says... Chris, of course, has been on Michael and Us. Oh, has he? Yes. No, I wouldn't know. Also very early on. (laughs) (laughs) So um, this letter is entitled A Polly Shore Story. Uh, Like a novel. Fantastic. Dear Will and Justin, like everyone in your audience, I was excited to hear you've decided to do a Polly Shore episode. I have a story for you about the time I encountered the man himself in the wild. Last summer, I had a very fancy Hollywood meeting at a streaming service to discuss a podcast project that never went ahead. Anyhow, I was in the lobby waiting to go inside when who walks up to the receptionist but Polly Shore. Hey, buddy. Wearing an open-toed sand... (laughs) Wearing open-toed sandals and a slouchy (laughs) t-shirt. The following is real dialogue I wrote down after seeing Mr. Shore interact with the receptionist. Wait, before we go into that, I want to structure this like a radio play. I will be playing the part of the receptionist, and Will will be playing the part of Mr. Shore. (laughs) Hello, sir. 
Who are you here to see? Uh, I'm here for Randy. Do you have an appointment? Yeah, totally. For what time? Now, it's now. Okay, what's your name? Really, bro? I'm Polly Shore. I don't see you on the schedule. Yeah, I'm, I'm just dropping in. Right, but you said you had an appointment. Tell Randy Polly Shore is here to see him. He's going to let me in, I promise. I can't just do that. Trust me, if you say that, he'll be down here in ten seconds. Who are you? And see. <laughs> um, wow. That is a sad <laughs> interaction <laughs> between an iron-willed receptionist and Polly Shore. At this point, Polly Shore gets belligerent and has to be calmed down. Wait, what would that sound like, Will? Guys, don't you know who I am? Have you seen In the Army now? Have you seen, have you seen Jury Duty? <laughs> buddy. Hey, buddy. Pizza, double cheese. A few minutes later, a young woman, presumably an executive assistant, comes down and has to calmly explain to Polly Shore that he cannot, in fact, just walk in without an appointment. Hey, baby, you want to come up to my room? He, I'm adding that. That's not in the email. He asks her if he could just wait in the lobby for Randy, who I later found out was the CEO of the company, and she said no. Nonetheless, Polly Shore just hangs out in the reception for another 15 minutes. Oh my god, it's like Rupert Popkin. <laughs> until I go into my meeting, desperately trying not to make eye contact with Polly Shore. <laughs> Emerging two hours later, I discover Polly Shore is still in the waiting room. Oh no. At this point, he is surrounded by three empty water bottles and a sandwich wrapper. So here's where we are in Polly Shore's career. Apparently, he just tries to bluff his way into meetings with studio executives and then waits in the lobby if they say no. All right, I know it's a long letter, but I hope you enjoyed it. Please do Jacques to me already, Chris. Well, thank you very much for that letter, Chris. And wow, that is exactly Rupert Bunkin. It's dark. <laughs> yeah. Do you think he's like barging into um, Brendan Fraser's house or something like that? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, we were, gonna, we were supposed to have dinner here, right, Brendan? Ah, we're good friends, right, Brendan? Yeah. <laughs> We didn't even mention, yeah, I know you made a reference to it, Polly Shore's, you know, big co-starring role as the voice of the weasel in the Goofy movie. That's right. Which yeah. is probably, like, the movie that people watch the most. That mm -hmm. been 100%. I think that if you look at, like, Polly Shore's, like, letterbox, that's probably, like, the first one. And probably whenever he sees some young girl at the comedy, at some stand-up comedy bar, he's like, hey, have you seen the Goofy movie? Yeah, he's he has, like, a can of, yeah. of uh, cheese whiz. <laughs> Okay, does this sound familiar? Do you want to go up to my room? <laughs> oh, um, I, by the way, I like Chris's suggestion to Jacques Demy, which would really seem like a breath of fresh air after this <laughs> yeah. rancid week. <laughs> <laughs> but you, um, you know what we are doing next week? Terry Gilliam. Yes, that's right. Uh, Mr. Gilliam himself, a favorite of me and Will. This has been a long time coming for this podcast. Why didn't we just jump into it? You know, I don't know. I think it's because we had a lot of slam dunk topics early on and mm -hmm. we wanted to space them out. And with Gilliam, I think we were waiting for Kyoto to come out. Yes. And I don't know, man. I'm a little bit scared to revisit those movies because, wow, did I love them when I was a kid. Yeah. And uh, I don't think I've watched Brazil in... Oof. It feels like a decade, I think. So that's probably, uh, we should watch that, Brazil. Yeah, definitely. And we're definitely going to watch Kyoto because yeah. we haven't gonna seen it yet. We're going to watch Kyoto. And uh, not Tideland. Yeah, man, Tideland. It, it seems like the sort of thing we would watch for It's this, so brutal. But I, I, I cannot watch it again. You can't? I'll watch Tideland. How, it's, I think it's, is it two hours long? Yes. Oh, like two hours God. on the knot. And it may as well be four. <laughs>
You know, uh, Brazil was co-written by Harold Pinter, incredibly enough. That's probably why that's the best one. Wait, oh uh, yeah, I don't remember. I got to uh, dust off my copy of Battle of Brazil to get the details. I think they had a falling out at some point. Yeah, like early on. From what I recall, Terry Gilliam said that like he barely wrote anything. But like, I know Pinter was responsible for the Tuttle Bottle. Yeah, thing. and I think that yeah. Gilliam likes to say that's the only thing that like he actually contributed to the finished film. I doubt it. But, um, you know, I'm excited to revisit them. I've actually never seen any of the Blu-ray copies of them because I still have my old dusty Brazil DVD sitting on the oh, shelf. Nice. So, uh, yep, uh, I'm excited to jump into this Dream world of magic. Unfortunately, you know, don't read his later day interviews because, <laughs> whoa boy. But before we throw to next week, we have a Patreon. $5 a month. Patreon.com slash The Important Cinema Club. And today we continue our attempt at making thematic uh, links to the free episodes. Uh, you know, another topic that we've been meaning to do for a long time and haven't gotten to, Dana Carvey's Master of Disguise. <laughs> a film <laughs> turtle, that turtle. Will has seen three times. <laughs> Will uh, all these viewings actually give him a different perspective on the film? Well, you have to listen to yeah. the episode to find out. I'm hoping I watch enough to finally achieve enlightenment. <laughs> Just like, will you finally be turtly enough for the Turtle Club? <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right, on that note, my name's Justin Clue. I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. Before we get to the back matter, I'd just like to thank people that recently became patrons in April. So that includes Will C., PJ Eckerd, Charles, and Patrick McClanahan. We really appreciate your support, and this podcast would not have lasted this long, or would keep going, if you guys didn't keep the lights on. And I'd just like to remind you that the Important Cinema Club Journal is still available on Amazon, and for a $10 pledge every month, you can get the Important Cinema Club newsletter which is principally made up of musings by myself on whatever topic comes into my mind. So, for example, last month's issue that may still be in the mail for some people is an all-action issue that includes an essay on one of the best gunfights in cinema history, an article about what makes a great action scene, the different types of fight scenes that I stumble upon through cinema, and a list that, in my opinion, would make the greatest old-school Kung Fu Film Festival marathon that you can do at home. And that's just some of the stuff that you'll find in last month's issue. So again, you can become a subscriber by going to patreon.com slash theimportantcinemaclub. $5 gets you a new podcast episode every week. $10 a month gets you a subscription to the printed newsletter that I will mail to you on a monthly basis. Anyway... Back to regular scheduled programming. You messaged me today with some big news, Will. You're like, Justin, I have an announcement to make. Well, I canceled my Netflix account <gasps> and I signed on to the Criterion streaming channel. Wait, but how are you going to watch all the, uh, I guess they don't exist anymore, the Marvel series on Netflix? <laughs> You'll have to get the Marvel channel for that one. And why did you go to Criterion? Because they have good movies that you want to watch? Yes. And I also realized that I've been meaning to cut my Netflix subscription. When was the last Netflix thing that you watched? Oh, God. Um, so I've seen some episodes of Big Mouth. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I, I really like Big Mouth. Very I like, funny. I like it, too. Um, but I could just watch that on my girlfriend's account. Mm -hmm. It's no reason for us to have two. Yes. I, I, you know what? I went to my dad's house, and he had gotten rid of his Netflix as well. Yeah. So it's interesting that as all these streaming platforms come out... Mm -hmm. It, I keep hearing that people are just canceling their Netflix account. Why do you think that is? Because it sucks. It's bad. There's nothing good. <laughs> Why is that? They, aren't they giving you what they want through the algorithms? Like exactly pinpointing what's popular and giving it to an audience. You know, I was looking at Netflix the other day and there are things in there that I guess I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but you have to really go digging for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, and there are only so many Orson Welles movies they can finish. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, like Netflix is a weird thing where it's it's like a devil's bargain, which from filmmakers that have worked with them seem to have indicated that Netflix is completely hands off. They're like, do whatever you want. You want it to be long? You want it to be short? Who cares? Just deliver something to us. You have these specs you need to deliver in. So it kind of like has that washed out Netflix look yeah. that all of their movies kind of have. But other than that, you just do your own thing. And that's almost like a detriment to all these filmmakers. Yeah. Where, where you're like, I'm trying to think of a specific example without raking um, someone through the mud who may listen to this. Well, I mean, also, if they make if they make whatever they want, like, it'll just get buried on Netflix mm-hmm. under all And you're like, stuff. wait, that came out? Yeah. And then you're like, I'm trying to think of the last Netflix show, like, original movie that they made that I was like, wow. Oh, they did... Um, High Mike... Flying Bird. Oh, High Flying Bird is great. Yeah. Mike Flanagan, um, who made those horror films, he did Hush, and he did the Stephen King app adaptation, Gerald's mm-hmm. Game. I like the original series. Really like um, me and Emily have been watching Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Mm-hmm. Like, Netflix series are pretty good. Yeah. Because, like, you don't watch TV, so you can't... <laughs> I, I watched uh, season one of Fargo on Netflix, too. Oh, you I did? Was, yeah, I uh, saw that. Fargo's it's pretty okay. good. Yeah. It's, okay. it's a little. It's a little long, like all TV shows are. Yeah, they're not 90 minutes, yeah. but... Okay, so putting Netflix aside, and whether it's good or bad in your opinion, Criterion Channel you subscribe to. Can you see yourself subscribing to other channels that come out? Because eventually, new media, that's the only way it's going to be delivered. Well, I should probably subscribe to Shudder. I've, mm-hmm. I've been on Shudder, you know. I mean, you love Joe Bob Briggs, and now there's a new Joe Bob Briggs every week. I do love Joe Bob Briggs. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, here's the thing. My movie watching is heavily dictated by this podcast. <laughs> yes. What about Michael and us? And Michael and us. Yeah. Because that's that's a night of the week where I watch, you know, Team America or some piece of shit. <laughs> and a Mike Myers film. Or my, and a Mike Myers film. So, <laughs> yeah. so between two podcasts, these are, <laughs> yeah. this is my movie going <laughs> habits. So you really want a channel that you know that the stuff that you like will be there and you can just go to it. You don't want to dig for it. Well, yeah. And... You know, it's great. It would be great to have a channel where I can go on and like on the front page is something like, you know, watch all the Agnes Varda movies. Mm-hmm. And it's like, fuck, there are a ton of those I haven't seen. I Let's yeah, let's watch an Agnes Varda <laughs> and movie. And then you'll be like, uh, sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> Public domain three stooges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's funny that all of these streaming channels and like every mega corporation. And by that, I mean, Disney and... What is the other? Because I think that's it. That's Disney. it. Disney. It just owns Disney everything. owns everything. Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Disney and Amazon. Those are the two main like uh, megapolis. Megapolis. I just made up a word. Um, they because they have so much stuff. Get away from curation, and it's these little websites that that's what people want. That remember what I said like ages ago, probably on like episode two or three. That I still think that there's going to be a place for video stores because people just want to be handed something to watch yeah and then that there's the responsibility of that when you have that thing that you have to watch it i think that's going to happen eventually because even these little specific streaming platforms people are going to go you know it's fine i'll just watch it some other time they just never watch it yeah yeah uh did you hear that netflix has bought the um egyptian oh the movie theater the movie theater yeah how do you feel about that uh are they just gonna show netflix stuff there I don't know. According to Larry Karaziski, the writer of Ed Wood, uh, Problem Child, yeah. and all the best biopics that are out there, including the upcoming Netflix movie, uh, My Name is Dolomite. Oh, of course. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. I'm really looking forward to yeah. that. Uh, they're going to be playing, it sounds like Netflix movies. 
mm. on the off days when the Egyptian didn't really do that much. Mm. And the rest of the programming is essentially left to the Academy. Yeah, interesting. Well, you know, um, I hope they preserve the theater. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> probably, probably, that wouldn't be uh, their their uh, modus operandi, would it? There's a theater in Toronto that plays all the Netflix movies. Um, and I just don't know why anybody would go out. Uh, I like how you say a theater. You mean the Tiff Bell Lightbox? Tiff Bell Lightbox. <laughs> which didn't show The Other Side of the Wind for some reason. That was the only one they didn't show. Mm, yep. I wonder why they didn't. Very strange. They're showing <laughs> yeah. that fucking Ben Affleck movie right now. <laughs> Is it still playing? Uh, probably not. I, don't I know. mean, you know, they played Roma on 70 millimeter film. Yeah. Like there's an attraction there. But other than that, I guess it's for older people that don't know how to use Netflix. People who want the theatrical experience. <laughs> of this kind of Ben Affleck movie where he plays a Navy commando. To look at washed out digital images with an audience of three other incels. You know, just... <laughs> That that beautiful theatrical experience that you can pay fourteen dollars for. But if Netflix wants to hire me, I'm completely available. Give me a deal. I'll make a movie for you. No problem. Please. Yeah. I will delete this podcast if yeah. Netflix is like million dollars right on the table. Well, look, Netflix finished Orson Welles' last movie, which yeah. is uh, more than uh, any studio. And if ever I done. sat down and I made a list of stuff that like they've done that I've liked that wouldn't have existed if they had existed, there's probably a lot. Yeah. So uh, yeah. it's just that it's completely destroying anything. Yeah. Any history of film. And look, I'm I'm a serious film guy. You mm-hmm. know, I'm not I'm not like the rubes, the masses. No, that's know. why you have the Criterion Channel that's subscription right. that you will now tweet about regularly <laughs> about what's on there. Whoa, I just watched uh, this. <laughs> Love in the Criterion Channel. Never tweets about it again. 